Love you. Well, good morning. I better smile. <laughs> okay, 50 years in ministry, but my real claim to fame is 56 years of happy marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Miss Linda's had to put up with me. That's, it's good. It's all good. Yeah. It's good to be back here. Uh, we haven't been here much this summer because we've had so many family things. We had a granddaughter get married, and uh, um, that's a big event when your granddaughter gets married. And, and uh, we, uh, I was so honored. She asked me if I would do the ceremony. And how, how special is that? Papa get to marry off his granddaughter. Wow. I, I was so honored. So anyway... We uh, are glad to be here today and been praying that God would do something here today that would be life-changing for at least somebody. Um, we've been busy also with our newsletter. Uh, do we have that uh, uh, Truth of John slide? Don't have it? Do you have it? Oh, bam. <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> um, our, our, uh, a lot of our time is spent on our website. Um, we have a website uh, that contains all kinds of teaching materials, and, and uh, we're really into phot- photography. And so every month we publish about nine new photos. And uh, uh, if you are interested in it, you can go on your computers to truthwithjohn.com um, or your phone, not now, okay? Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you want to get ongoing um, reminders once a month, we send out a reminder that says the new issue is, is, has just been published, and there are links that you can go right to it, so it makes it real easy for you. And here's the deal now. No catch, no hidden agenda, no charge, okay? We, you, can, you couldn't buy anything off that website if you tried. We, we don't sell anything. You want to listen to the material? We feel like God gave it to us, and we should not charge for it. So... Uh, we give everything away free, downloads, anything you want, it's, it's all free. In fact, I had, I had somebody, <coughs> where's John and Kathy? There's John and Kathy. Ask if, if um, they could uh, buy a photo of an eagle. I'm like, no, you can't, but I'll give you one. <laughs> so we had some fun with that. I told them it was going to be a, be a, a little Walgreens, and they had to wait until Walgreens put them on special before I could get it to them. And uh, we just felt like, look, don't expect this for everybody now. We just, <laughs> we just felt like the Lord told us to bless them with a nice canvas print, uh, enlarged canvas print of that eagle. And... Uh, and, and it hangs in their home right now, even as I speak. So if you go over to their house, ask to see the eagle, okay? But, uh, yeah, you can't buy anything. We just want to be uh, a blessing. Um, I, I need to take just a moment here to commend the church and, and the board or whoever makes decisions around here on allowing your pastors to uh, uh, do a sabbatical. You know, Paul teaches us, that pastors are a gift from God. God gave pastors. And um, I don't think people realize, if they haven't done it, they don't realize what's all involved and the load. 
Um, I, just, uh, I just read something this week. Um, uh, some teacher, who was it? Rick Joyner said, and when teaching young people, he said, pastor is not a position you seek. It's a burden you carry. I thought that was really, really good. Having been there and done that, I know it's true. And anybody that would seek that is crazy. <laughs> it's like God puts it on you. It is what he has for you. And so you do it. But I'm going to tell you, um, it can drain you. And so I commend you, uh, whoever made that decision, to let them have some time off. I, I got to say this about Pastor Michael. Um, I love the people here. I love you all who have gotten acquainted somewhat. And to the point I feel comfortable here. This is our home church when we're in Estes. But I have to tell you, I, I made that decision because of Pastor Michael. He is so genuine. He, he is so caring. He is so loving. And when he teaches, it's, it's clear. And, and, and he's not afraid to speak the truth in love. He has a true pastor's heart. And more than anything else, that is the reason that Linda and I decided this was going to be our home church here in Estes. And so uh, uh, value them, treasure them as a gift from God because that's exactly what they are. Okay, enough of all of that. Let's get into this. I've always believed that every pastor uh, ought to have a mentor. Um, I see young guys starting out and, and I'm like, oh, God, they have no idea what they're getting into. <laughs> and I have a son-in-law, uh, who, my daughter and son-in-law, pastor down in Parker, uh, just started a church there about a year and a half ago. And um, uh, he, he, he calls, he called just this weekend, he's like, Dad, I need some counsel. I got a situation. I, I don't know what to do about this. And uh, I was happy that I have that relationship with him that, that he would call. Um, but I, I have always believed that every young pastor needs a mentor. I was blessed in that God gave me an amazing mentor, a man by the name of John Osteen. Now, that last name is familiar. Many of you are very familiar with his son, Joel. And different people have different opinions about Joel. Some people think he is the reincarnation of Jesus. Some people think he is the reincarnation of Judas. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get into that, okay? But his daddy was a, was a great man of God, a tremendous man of God. He was one of the best Bible teachers I have ever heard in my life. And um, through a, a series of events, um, we were allowed to attend a pastor's conference down there, all expenses paid. And um, I, I didn't know what I was getting into. Young guy, you know, and I, 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 I was a little bit skeptical because in, in my world, you know, your denomination was about the only people going to heaven. Maybe nobody else relates to that. You didn't grow up in my denomination, okay? But that's kind of how we felt. And, and, you know, he wasn't from our denomination. So I was a little bit, a little bit skeptical. I'll never forget the first time I heard him preach. He said something, and it caught my attention. He said... Getting saved will ruin you for sinning. <laughs> Getting saved will ruin you for sinning. And now, I, w I was like all ears because I got to tell you something. Sin was a big problem in my life. 
Now, I know what you're thinking, all right? It's like, what were you into, you know? <laughs> Nothing that you weren't into, okay? <laughs> but, but, but you, you got to understand, in my denomination, I was raised Pentecostal holiness. And, and, and I got to tell you, in that, in that setting, everything is sin. I mean... I mean, there are sins of omission, sins of commission, uh, willful sins, um, sins out of ignorance, but sin. And, and then they added to that this. And how many sins does it take to make a sinner? One. And how many sinners are in heaven? I mean, you, as a young person, you hear that? It scares you to death. You're like, oh, my God, I, this is horrible. And so when he said, getting saved will ruin you for sinning, I'm like, I'm signing up, man. I, 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 I got to deal with this issue in my life. But it was like I didn't know what he meant by that. How, how does that whole thing work? And so um, let me just kind of walk you through that. I've done a lot of learning over the years. And uh, I've learned how that works. And the way to do that, I want to I do something. I want to talk about before we come to Christ, and I want to talk about after we come to Christ, and how that whole process works. Let's start with before we come to Christ. And I want to start by saying that there are good sinners and there are bad sinners. Hello? Let's talk about the good sinners. The good sinners are good people. Okay, they're good people. You you'd be thrilled to have them as neighbors. They would never steal from you. You could give them a key to your house. They they wouldn't take anything. They're they're really good people. Okay, but how many know all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? And and when I sometimes people are like, well, I'm I'm a good person. Trust me, God's seen better than you. Okay, okay. So, good sinners, they're, they're good people. Um, and, and then there are bad sinners. Now, I've seen my share of those too. And, and if you're here this morning and you consider yourself to be a bad sinner, I want you to hear this. God's seen worse than you. Are you listening? I, I have personally led some bad sinners to the Lord. I have... I remember our first church we ever pastored in that little bitty rural community, and everybody knew everybody. You could ask anybody in town, who is the worst sinner in town? And they would all tell you, number one sinner, guy by the name of Lon Rudd. Really bad sinner, okay? I led that man to Jesus. <laughs> Woo! I'm telling you, I led him to Jesus. And after he got saved, he didn't have a proper Bible like Oh, I see somebody brought up, brought a Bible to church. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> Nobody brings Bibles to church anymore. We all have our cell phones, right? <laughs> he didn't have a proper Bible like this. No, didn't own one. You know what he had? An old family Bible. Those old antique ones, they're like a Gutenberg Bible, you know? I mean, that thing, the, the guy got saved walked around town carrying that Bible under his arm. And everybody's like, Lon got religion. 
No, no, Lon didn't get religion. Lon got Jesus. See? And, and so, but, but he was a bad sinner. I had another guy before coming to Christ. He was a member of an outlaw motorcycle gang. I led him to Jesus. He told me one day, he said, Pastor, people don't know this, but before I came to Jesus, I got in a gang fight with another motorcycle gang one night. I killed a man. How many know that's a bad sinner? I don't think I'd want him as a neighbor. But Jesus completely changed his life. Okay? So you have good, you have bad. And here's the deal. Good, bad, doesn't matter. God loves sinners. <laughs> Romans says, while, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love that God has for every person on this planet, sinners, Christians, believers, unbelievers, doesn't matter. God loves them all. And so here's what he does. He starts playing hardball with sinners. You know how he does that? He loves them so much that he pours his grace out upon their lives. Now, a lot of people don't really understand grace, how it works. Um, I've read a lot of studies that they say, well, the definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's God's unmerited favor. But the question is, how does that reveal itself? How does that actually manifest itself in your life? Um, I've had a lot of things that God's done for me. I'm like, I don't deserve that, but he did it anyway. Difference between grace and mercy is, mercy, you don't get what you deserve. Grace, you get something you don't deserve. Okay? So, he pours his grace out. If you want the formal definition of grace, you go to a Greek study uh, Bible. You look up the Greek definition of the word charis. It's the, it's the Greek word that's translated grace in our Bibles. And here's what it'll say. Divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. I like that. Divine influence. God begins to influence our lives. He begins to, to, to make us experience the influence of heaven. We don't deserve it. We may be bad sinners, but he does it anyway. And it ends up resulting in a reflection of a change in our life. Now, let me just say to you that <laughs> when that happens to a sinner, <laughs> when that happens to a sinner, they can have all kinds of different responses to that. For instance, some of them can get really nasty and mean because they're starting to come under conviction, okay? Before, God had no part in their life. They didn't care anything about God and church and all of that stuff. But all of a sudden, they're feeling something, and it makes them feel really uncomfortable about their life. And sometimes when that happens, they can begin to get pretty mean. There's a guy in the Bible that... Eh, tells us all about that. His name was Saul, later changed to Paul. And one day he's, he's on his little journey trying to kill Christians. 
God says, time for me to arrest you, boy. Knocked him off of his donkey into the dirt. And then a voice came and said, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goads? And it was a term they used for, for like oxen to prod them on, to get them to go where they wanted them to go. And that had been happening in his life. He says, you're, you're, you're just resisting. I'm trying to get you to where you're supposed to be. His response was, I'm going to kill some Christians. Okay? Now, that's one response. There are other responses. Do we have the video clip? Do we have a video clip? Huh? Yep. We have it. <laughs> where would this church be without Jamie? <laughs> I don't know how this is going to show up up here. This is, I'll set it up while they're looking for it. This is an interview with a guy from Singapore who is the richest man in Singapore. He, they estimate his wealth at $12 billion, okay? And he granted an interview to his nephew to talk about some things as how he views life. And uh, I, I saw it and I thought, I'd like people to just see how, how that... How a man worth $12 billion feels when, when God begins to deal with his heart, pouring grace upon his life. So uh, we might have that. Just keep talking, huh? <laughs> Jamie, you're using up my time here. <laughs> I better check that time. Let's see what we're doing. Oh, I forgot to set my timer. Glory, I can preach as long as I want. <laughs> Take your time, Jamie. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're leaving already. <laughs> oh, I'd like to see what's hid underneath there. Oh, man. <laughs> I love babies, man. Wait till my granddaughter has a baby. Oh, wow. Is that going to be something special? Okay, I'm running out of things to say, to Jamie. All the young people watching this, okay. what do you think is the one piece of advice you'd give them? Well, what I have discovered is that all of us are broken. We all have a missing piece. And for me, I discovered that that missing piece is God through Jesus Christ. I was always in search of uh, a better life, a better purpose, a better me, better everything. I was just uh, looking at all the wrong things. When I realized that there is no better me or better things without Jesus, mm. then it all snapped in place. Maybe we have to look deeper. I treasure that more than anything. So I just wish for everyone to have that peace and joy. It sure beats a lot of money and material things that you may have. Yeah. It starts with accepting that you are broken and that there is a missing piece. And for me personally, that missing piece is our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That's so. really good. Uncle Philip, to all the young people watching this, what do you think is the one piece of advice you'd give them? Well, what I have discovered is that all of us are broken. We all have a I think that's missing piece. Twice over again. All right. So here's a guy worth $12 billion. And he's like, that wasn't making it for me. That just, that, there was something missing. And, and then he talked about, well, I, I needed to be a better person, but I couldn't be. No, I needed Jesus. Jesus was the only thing that could fill the void and the emptiness in his life. And 
sometimes uh, sinners, good sinners, bad sinners, doesn't matter, they will do something. They will try to do the reform thing. I, I, maybe if I just get better, I can be good enough. And uh, it never doesn't, doesn't work. It never will work. And I'll tell you why. It, that whole thing is in opposition to God's plan of salvation, which makes it in opposition to God. And, and so... Um, how, how, how does it work? How does the real thing work? Okay, real thing works like this. You recognize you're a sinner, and you recognize you need a Savior, and you come into agreement with God about all of that, and you say, you know what? Jesus died on that cross for me, and I'm going to accept that. And you confess your sin, and when you do, God does what he said he'd do. He forgives you your sin and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And uh, 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 that, that, for me, was an amazing day. I will never forget it. It was like a new life started. And I would imagine there are many of you here this morning feel the same exact way. It was like night and day. It was brand new. What a feeling to know. You know what? I, I don't have to be a better person in order to be acceptable to God. You know, it's, it's wonderful, and we'll talk about it a little bit here, how it all works. But the bottom line is, you can't reform your way into God's salvation. If you could, God has to be the dumbest person in the whole universe. Who would sacrifice his own son? Why didn't he just say, y'all straighten up? But we couldn't, and he knew that. We were born with a sin nature. And so we come to Christ and, and we just put our trust in Him, our faith in Him. Lord, you said it. Now, are you going to do it? I confess my sin and bam, it's amazing. And you're feeling so right with God. It's like, wow, my sin's forgiven. But I'm going to tell you something. There's more. There's even more. Then what He does is he comes by his Holy Spirit's power, and his Holy Spirit sets up residency inside of us. I want to read you a verse. Paul wrote this. I love Paul's writings. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit lives in you? Sins forgiven, clean, holy vessel fit for the Holy Spirit to come and live within me. Wow, that's amazing. But, do you ever, do you ever buy these products nowadays? It doesn't seem like no matter what you buy, this is on there. There's a warning. In California, this will give you cancer. <laughs> Won't give you cancer anyplace else, but in California, boy, you're going to get it. <laughs> well, the, this should come with a warning. Oh, the Holy Spirit is going to live in you. It's going to be so wonderful. Warning. Doesn't matter whether it's California or where it is. This is going to cause you some problems. And I'm going to read it for you. Here it is. Ushers lock the doors. Don't let anybody out. Galatians 5.17. For we naturally love to do evil things that are just the opposite from the things that the Holy Spirit tells us to do. Whoa. And the good things we want to do, 
when the Spirit has His way with us, are just the opposite of our natural desires. These two forces within us are constantly fighting each other to win control over us, and our wishes are never free from their pressure. This is what John Osteen was talking about when he said, getting saved will ruin you for sinning. Used to be, before you came to Christ, before the Holy Spirit took up residence in you, you could go out and sin, and no, no problem. In fact, I've known some sinners would brag about their sin. Oh, man, we partied last night, and on and on, like, oh, this is a great way to live. <laughs> Get saved. That's going to mess that all up. And I'm just going to tell you, every Christian, true born-again Christian, has something inside that makes them want to be pleasing to the Lord and be free from sin. Bam. Now, Sarun Paul, a few weeks ago, I, I may not be here always, but I watch, you know, online. A few weeks ago, Susan and, and Aaron were up here talking about all of this, and I think, Aaron, it was you that mentioned uh, Romans 7. First time I ever read Romans 7, I, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but first time I ever read it, I'm like, man, this guy needs counseling. <laughs> he is one messed up dude. <laughs> He's like, oh, this is terrible. What I want to do, I don't do, and what I hate, I do, and uh, what I love, I don't do, and on and on and on. And he comes to the 24th verse, and he goes, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm, I, I read you some of the other translations of that. The Living Bible says, oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. The Passion Translation, what an agonizing situation I'm in. And then there's some translations that are worse. Uh, New Living Translation, what a miserable person I am. And then the New International Reader's Version, what a terrible failure I am. Have we not all been there and felt like that? Been there and done that. We didn't, we didn't buy the t-shirt. We couldn't find it at Brownfields. <laughs> Jamie, do not make that t-shirt. Nobody will buy it. You can give it away at the rummage sale. They will not take it, okay? Who's going to walk around? I am a terrible failure. I am a wretch. No, no, we don't want that. That's how we feel sometimes. That's how Paul felt. To that I say, if you felt like that as a Christian, you need some help. I'm here to give you some help. And here's, here's how it works. We have to understand what happened on the cross. Now, if I, if I ask the question, what happened on the cross? People say, well, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died. He took the penalty for our sin. All of that is true. But I want to try to help you see it in more, more detail. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 reads like this. For our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become 
the righteousness of God approved and acceptable and in right relationship with Him by His goodness. Here, here, here's another scripture. I really like this one. Colossians 1, 21, 22. Even though you were once distant from Him, living in the shadow of your evil thoughts and actions, He reconnected you back to Himself. He released His supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of His own body as the sin payment on your behalf. Now listen to this. So you would dwell in His presence, and now, oh, I love this, there is nothing between you and Father God, for He sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. Woo! I'm telling you, (laughs) that'll make a Methodist shout. Now, I want to try to give you an illustration of this. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable here a little bit. Is there anybody in this room that would confess that before coming to Christ, you would have fallen into the category of a bad sinner? We're not going to ask you to, to say all of the details of your, of your sin. There's no point in going back and doing that. But anybody that would just be... Steve? Steve? I would have never guessed. (laughs) I know Steve pretty well, so I can do this. (laughs) Okay, play with him a little bit. Steve, I need you to come up here. (laughs) Ah, boy. How many of you remember when I put Jamie's head in the bucket? Few of you remember that? You never forget things like that. You won't forget this. Okay, Steve, don't get too close. <laughs> and Jamie, I need your help. Would you go over here, please? Miss Linda has a prop for you. No, the black one. There you go. And would you, would you please put that on this bad sinner? All right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Put it over his head. Oh. Looks like Darth Vader. Oh, now I'd thought about I'd thought about taking this down to the creek by my house and just putting mud on it and all of that. It, it's a terrible thing to just feel like you're covered with sin and there's condemnation. It's a terrible way to live, a terrible way to feel. And I want to show you something of what actually happened on the cross. And for this, I'm going to need Jamie again. And would you get that other prop, please? All right, and come up over here. Don't get too close to that center. I have just, I have just, I unfold this thing. Where is it up there? Hurry up, John, you're taking your time. Oh, there it is. Jamie, <laughs> I've wanted to do this for so long because I felt so, so convicted for putting your head in a bucket that time. Now, I kept the, I kept the sparkly side out, just kind of turn, let them all see. This is Jesus, okay? This is Jesus. For all of you who want gender equality, we've got it here this morning. This is Jesus, all right? spotless, 
not a spot. I had to work hard. I didn't take it out of the wrapper until I just got out of my vehicle because I wanted it so spotless. Now, here's the deal, Jamie. Bam, bam. Bam, bam. That's Jesus on the cross. He never sinned. Not one sin. The spotless Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. And on that verse we just read, here is what happened on that cross. God took the sin of every sinner off of them. He took the righteousness of Jesus off from him, her, whatever, and he put it on Jesus. And then he took this righteousness, pure, perfect righteousness, and he put it, covered all of us, wrapped us in it, perfect, pure. How many sins did Jesus have to commit in order to become sin? Zero. It was God's plan of salvation. Put our sin. Now, if our sin is on Jesus, it can't be on us. I'm free. I'm clean. And, and, and it used to be like, well, God, God forgave me for the, my past sins. Did he not know that after I came to him, he, I, he was going to see it, I was going to sin again? But he forgave me anyway. Why? How could he do that? Because he had already put that sin on Jesus. Thank you both. Give me my robes back. I'm going to use this as an illustration again. Thanks, Jamie. So, here it is. Here we stand, unblameable, holy, flawless, restored. King James Version says unblameable, unreprovable. Uh, complete Jewish Bible says without defect. I'm like, man, I'll buy that T-shirt I mean to tell you, can you just see walking down the streets of Estes? Perfect. <laughs> Unblameable. Linda, look at my shirt. See what I'm saying? Now, here's the deal. We're going to take communion. And I got to go back to my upbringing. I was raised in this horrible atmosphere well, everything was about my works, and that's a bad situation. Here's what they used to say to us. They used to say, before we took communion, you better examine your life, because if there's any sin in you, and you take this communion, you could die. <laughs> as God is my witness, that's what they would tell us. I got to thinking about this. Wait a minute. Ho, ho, ho. Time out here. Think about this. 
What did Jesus say? As oft as you do this, do it in what? Remembrance of me. Not, not remembrance of your sin. Don't dredge up every sin that I've forgiven and taken off of you. That's crazy. Do it in remembrance of my finished work on the cross. Got goosebumps. My finished work on the cross that took all of your sin and put it on Jesus and left you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any more righteous than that. Yeah. So as we take the communion today, I don't want you to think about your sin. I want you to remember what Jesus did on the cross. And I want you to see yourself as completely clothed in the righteousness of God in Christ. That transfer has taken place. Now, I'll say one other thing, and this is completely different than what you usually do here at Summit. I talked with Pastor Aaron about this a few weeks ago, and he gave me the green light. So if this is offensive to somebody, talk to him. <laughs> 56 years of ministry and marriage will teach you how to avoid blame. Here at Summit, usually it goes something like this. We serve an open communion. You do not have to be a member here or something like that. It's open to all believers. So if you're a visitor here for the first time, but you're a believer, you're more than welcome to receive this communion. <clears throat> I'm going to take that a little bit step further. You know who this communion really is for? It's for people who may be here who have never asked Jesus to come into their life and forgive them their sin. They've never placed their faith and their trust in the Lord. You know, I know something. This is for you. There are many different ways. Jesus is the only way to salvation, the only way to God, but there are many ways to come to Jesus. You can be in a service. they like, if you're here and you need to come to the Lord and you're ready to do that, raise your hand up. Raise your hand up and then come down. We'll lead you in a sinner's prayer and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's a way. Can I tell you there's another way? <laughs> that's when this communion comes by this morning. I've been praying for you for weeks. There's somebody here that has never put their trust and their faith in Jesus. I have no clue who you are, but I know you're here. Maybe today you heard it explained in a way you've never heard it explained before. And you're like, you know what? <laughs> if that's what it's all about, I can do that. I need Jesus to be my Savior. And I'm going to put my trust in him. When that communion comes by, you take that. That's, I think that's even better than raising your hand. <laughs> okay? You take it, and when you drink that cup, you're remembering what Jesus did for you, and you're placing your faith and your trust in that shed blood and that broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to invite Garrick and the, and the worship team to come up this more, uh, uh, now and so we prepare for communion. And I'm going to pray one prayer, and then Pastor Aaron is going to come and, uh, and uh, lead us in the communion. Let's just pray. Lord, I, I pray that the, the words that... that uh, 
as the church heard this morning, would bless them that they'd be free from condemnation. If there's some who felt like they are really a wretched person, even though their faith has been in Christ, I pray that this morning they'd be free from that condemnation. Lord, we've all been there. We've all done that. We've all needed that. So I'm praying, God, that that would happen as they take communion, that it would not be a remembrance of their sin. It would be a remembrance of your work on the cross. And, Lord, I'm praying if there's any here this morning, I I know there's at least one that has never asked Christ into their heart, I pray that this morning they would take that step of faith and they would receive this communion as their, their act of their will that they are believing in the shed blood of Jesus to wash their sin away. I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Our ushers to come forward at this time.